Hi guys, welcome back to Nerd with Neri. I'm Preeti. And I'm Siri. Before we begin, Preeti and I have a short disclaimer. We are not doctors or professionals in this field. Anything we say or suggest is from our own research and volunteering experiences. Please contact a doctor or other professionals before taking further action. We also want to mention that we're still in quarantine because of the coronavirus. So if there is a lag in the recording, please do adjust. We are recording on Zoom as we do not want to stop publishing podcasts for a whole month. On the bright side, we'll probably also start uploading more episodes. So enjoy! Today's episode is very special because today is World Autism Awareness Day. And this week is also Autism Awareness Week. In honor of such a special day, today we have a very special guest that we are interviewing. We welcome Mrs. Kaveri Patil to share her personal experiences and learnings with our listeners. Kaveri Patil is the mother of a 17-year-old autistic boy and one of the social skills coordinators at GINA, along with working as a software engineer. In addition to that, Mrs. Kaveri is very dear to us because we volunteer at GINA through Empower and Excel, where she is a social skills coordinator, and we are so honored and happy to have her here. Mrs. Kaveri has taught us so much, and I personally can't wait to start today's interview. In addition to that, please bear in mind that whatever Mrs. Kaveri says is her own opinion and view based on her experience raising an artistic child. Nothing in this episode is meant to offend anyone. Thank you. Without further ado, let's begin. Mrs. Kaveri, how are you today? Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate everything you do for our kids. And I hope I'll be able to answer uh, your questions. Uh, and I hope nobody, I mean, the listeners or the audience uh, will not be offended with what I say. This is just my experience uh, with my autistic son. You'll be great, Auntie. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, to start off with, please describe your journey as a parent advocating for autism. Um, you know, like... Um, any any journey uh, when it's different from uh, what is typical or what others experience, it's always um, uh, difficult, uh, a hard, hard, uh, you know, harder or a path filled with many obstacles. I can say so. Having an autistic child and not knowing really anything about autism before my son was diagnosed, uh, I did have to. Uh, it was first of all, it was a shock uh, to me and I know for almost all of the parents that have kids on the spectrum, uh, it's a shock for them to, uh, you know, even understand what's happening. It's very overwhelming in the beginning. So I went through the same. Uh, but then we do also have uh, people to support us, uh, people uh, who are doctors, psychologists, uh, schools, schools with, uh, you know, special ed directors, program specialists, therapists, and everybody to help us. So it does feel like uh, there is a lot of help. But at the same time, what you go through in your house uh, once the diagnosis happens is uh, something very uh, personal to each and every parent. And uh, it, it, it takes a long time for a parent to accept. Uh, they literally have to go through the five stages of grief, you know, and always the first stage is denial. So uh, it's very hard. Uh, I'll say uh, the journey is very hard, no matter how much support you find uh, in the form of people that are around you, uh, it is difficult and it is hard. 
Wow. I mean, I can only imagine, you know, hearing your journey. <sighs> it's very empowering, you know, that no matter what happens, you know, you always have a smile on your face every time. And like, it just really encourages us, you know, to yeah, be People, I know? took a lot of time actually to reach the yeah. stage. <laughs> you, have to accept that you, you have to accept something you never imagined. Yeah, I yeah. feel very empowered, you know, hearing you like nothing can, you know, nothing should be an obstacle. Like you just take it on as a journey. And I'm, thank you so much, Auntie. So I actually had a question. Um, what is a special memory you would like to share with us about your child? Um, my son was. Uh, uh, you know, when he was diagnosed, he, um, he, it, it was a late diagnosis. So he was already six years old when he was diagnosed. And uh, uh, that was because he had uh, reached all the milestones on time, kind of like, you know, um, there weren't any developmental delays or any major delays that was like, uh, uh, you know, a warning or something that needed to be looked at. He was, he was, he was okay when he was uh, younger. We did not, and I think this is also because we weren't aware of what autism is back then, you know, before my son's diagnosis. So we might have missed the red flags. I'm not saying we, we didn't or he didn't have any of uh, the autism traits. So we might have missed those. Um, but having said that, uh, one of the special memory about my child is I think he he had this um, OCD or obsessive compulsive you know right from uh, the beginning like I still remember he was one and a half or something and still as a baby he was very very clean and that's very uncommon right uh, yeah. when it comes to babies like they can break their toys or they can throw stuff or tear papers or you know make a mess of something but uh, my son wasn't like that he was very clean and um, always used to put back this the things back in place like the toys or uh, um, any of his favorite uh, things I would say like so it was uh, I think that that should have been a red flag to us but uh, it was mostly like okay uh, we we are lucky you know you always think positive right so yeah. you think okay we are lucky we have a child who's very neat, very organized and very clean, you know? So yeah, that is a special memory of my child. And it, it, was, it was not a problem at all. When he was young, we didn't have any, any issues or, uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a very compliant, obedient uh, and a happy child. Very happy, always smiling. In fact, I don't even remember him crying his first year after birth. Um, mm -hmm. The first time he cried was after he got his shot. So yeah, very happy baby, and he loved people. He still does. You've met him, right? Yeah. So yeah. So so sweet. Sweet. His smile yeah. always like I always look forward to coming and seeing his smile. So cute. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So yeah, that's our special memory of having a problem-free child. I guess a trauma-free child. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you expand on how did you um, receive the actual diagnosis? Uh, so what happened was uh, he was in uh, kindergarten uh, in a private school and the class teacher told me one day, you know, she says um, he's not interacting with his peers as much as he should be. Uh, he's interested in playing everything alone, like 
any toys or even in the circle you know whatever circle games or whatever they have he he's not interested in interacting with his peers and um, this i think should be looked at uh, so why don't you consult a psychologist or a, a developmental pediatrician and see if you know he needs to be assessed or something like that and so we did take an appointment we took him to the pediatrician and uh, developmental pediatrician and actually my son had met most of the milestones he had perfect eye contact uh, he would respond to every question asked and he would um, communicate with us uh, any needs and wants he had he would communicate with us so uh, he kind of met everything you know all the uh, uh, like you check right like whether he's meeting all the requirements and he was so they really couldn't uh, uh, you know diagnose him as an autistic child back then they said it could he could be on the spectrum like uh, you know uh, as a child who doesn't want to interact with his peers because he was doing fine with the adults he always liked adults a lot like he was fine with the teacher interacting with the teacher but not with his peers so the first time when we went to the doctor we really didn't get a diagnosis immediately we took some i mean they did many tests and uh, to be honest they said okay let's let's start some of the therapies uh, like uh, aba and uh, other therapies and see if that helps him uh, mm-hmm. open up more with his peers so that's how we got the diagnosis i see so um after you received the diagnosis right what type of therapies and treatments did you try and which do you think like benefited your child or your family the most uh so when a child on the you know child is diagnosed to be on the spectrum um we are always referred to aba therapists applied behavior analysis uh therapists speech therapists occupational therapists physical therapists based on the needs of the child so a child on the spectrum if uh is uh behind in i would say uh for example speech okay so speech is a red flag always for kids on the spectrum most of the kids are not meeting the uh, standard of what the speech level should be when they are 2 or 3 that is when the usual diagnosis starts uh, this is based on my experience i would say so speech therapy is one of the most important uh, therapies uh, and i i know these days screening has uh, is being done at a very young age which is really a must and needed like i think kids get screened at the age of uh, around 12 to 18 months you know they get screened for all the developmental milestones and speech and other things that they should be doing or is expected of a baby and if the child is lagging or uh, it looks like if the child needs help then immediately they do uh, get referred to uh, therapies and other services uh, applied behavior analysis does help but then um, as i i mean these days there are many kids that are being diagnosed so we do not have enough uh, therapists you know uh, trained people to actually uh, uh give us these services or you know help parents with uh kids on the spectrum because uh, the number of kids on the spectrum is growing every day it's very difficult to meet the demand there aren't enough therapists trained to help kids on the spectrum so what happens is um, 
based on the demand uh untrained therapists are usually hired by you know mm-hmm. um yeah therapy centers and then sometimes we do not have uh like when you have a person guiding you or teaching you you always want that person to be experienced right and if that person lacks in experience or is very new to autism then yeah it's not useful at all so i i would say that it depends on the therapist you meet mm-hmm. you know uh, or you uh, are assigned to through your insurance because medical insurance yes that's important but definitely uh, speech therapy occupational therapy aba um and then physical therapy too for some of the kids because some kids on the spectrum walk on toes or uh, um do not know how to uh you know they're clumsy or they don't they're not strong enough to carry things or hold a pencil etc so yeah all of these therapies definitely help kids on the spectrum yeah okay so before we go on to our next question in honor of coronavirus we'll just take a small little break so our listeners can wash their hands or just finish any necessities and then we will come back to um continue our interview is that okay with everybody yes great thank you Hi guys, welcome back from the break. So, um we're going to continue the interview now. So, I hope you guys took care of yourself in these like last um in these last 2 minutes. So, um now going back to the interview. A um, miscovery, what types of changes did you notice in your child after the therapy and treatments? Um yeah, he needed help in interacting and uh, communicating with his peers. So uh, the therapist did use uh, you know an approach where they uh, would have a social skills um, a class where they have uh, kids similar to my son who are on the spectrum and you know kind of train them how to interact with one another and respond and other things. So yeah, definitely it helped uh, my son. Um although we did see that as he grew older uh, we did see more and more of his autism traits uh, and we did realize we do i mean we kind of realize that yes he needs help um, it is not just his basic just getting his basic needs and requirements fulfilled is not that that alone will not help him he needs to know how to interact with others make a conversation and all that you know in a group of people and everything so he he did get help and training for that uh, i would say uh, it was not an immediate improvement it took months and months of therapy i would say um and uh, yeah we applied most of the uh, 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 most of the things that they taught us during this therapy we did apply that at home and in school and uh, you know his teachers helped him and most of the people around helped us so it helped That's great. So, um in general, like what challenges do you feel like a family with an autistic child has to overcome? And like how do you suggest they overcome such challenges? Like for any families listening with an autistic child, maybe like what type of like challenges and how do you think they should overcome those challenges? 
I think the first and foremost challenge is acceptance. Uh, most of the parents don't want to accept that their child needs help. It's their child is different or the child is on the spectrum. Um, you know, it's, it's always uh, you don't want as a parent, you don't want your child anything bad to happen to your child, right? Like yeah. you don't want to think of your child as someone who's lacking in skills, uh, like simple basic skills these are, like conversation making skills or uh, expressing their needs and requirements and interests and all of this, right? You want them to be as neurotypical as possible. So I think we as parents, um, you know, first and foremost need to accept that, okay, this this is the truth or reality. And I know it's, saying this is very easy because <laughs> I've gone through this and it took a long time to accept. But in the meantime, I would say, keep working on your child. Just because you have not accepted uh, doesn't mean that you don't work on your child, like provide uh, tools and training that will help him or her, you know, train yeah. to be as neurotypical as possible. Uh, I know these days early intervention is done. Most of the kids, uh, like when they are, uh, most of the kids that are diagnosed are usually in the age range of 18 months to two years. And that is great. Um, it really helps because um, some of these kids just need some push, some help, some training. That's all they need. And they do learn and get trained and, you know, learn to be more like a neurotypical child by the time they turn five. And they have been included in mainstream education and, you know, many of the um, general ed classes and they have been doing really well. So I will say that a family with an, a child on the spectrum needs to be really open about their child's diagnosis. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that they should go and tell the whole world that the child is on the spectrum. No, not needed at all. Um, in fact, don't tell anyone until you want to. I, I don't even, I'm not talking about that. But then once you come to know, okay, that the child needs help, immediately get help. Uh, it could be through the developmental pediatrician, uh, psychologist, speech therapist, ABA, occupational therapist, any kind of help. And then there's a network of parents now with uh, most of them with special need kids. Like they, they have formed groups, you know, everywhere. Uh, so support groups are there so you can get more and more information. So, yes, that should be done as soon as possible. Okay. That's, that's really great advice. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we read that many children with autism feel unmotivated. So how do you suggest that um, the parents keep their child motivated? Um, so, like, you know, uh, a child, whether it's a neurotypical or on the spectrum, uh, will need some kind of motivation when they are young, young younger, right, basically. Uh, so what you have to do is it's, it's, it's very similar to a neurotypical child like having a reward system or you know rewarding them with something very um, like a simple toy or uh, um, their favorite activity like if there is a non-preferred activity suppose a child does not want to read or write or do something that will help him 
or her, then uh, definitely reward the child with a preferred activity later. Say that, uh, you know, if you do this, then you will get to do the other thing. Or you can maintain a reward system, a board of sorts where you have these stars or tokens or tickets. And, you know, you can um, use that as an incentive for them to keep working. And I know you both are very experienced in this because <laughs> you, uh, you help our kids in our social skills class. So you've seen this happen, right? We, uh, most of the kids are interested yeah. in building Legos and we say, okay, you do this and then you will get to build Legos, correct? Yeah, yeah. I completely yeah. see what you're saying. Yeah, so that's how you motivate child, the children on the spectrum. Great, thank you. So as we were talking about, you know, our experiences, being a social skills coordinator, what type of skills do you believe are very important for any child to have and like parents and families should try to improve on? Uh, first and foremost, I think it is listening. Listening skill is very important. Kids on the spectrum tend to be in their own world. Most of the time they are in their heads, you know. It's like their head is a beautiful place. Uh, I know this because of my son. So my son keeps talking about how he was like, sometimes he's, he just drifts away. And then I ask him, where were you? And then he says, oh, I was thinking about the trip we went on or something like that. So they're not, um, you know, present like, present, present, 100% there. So first and foremost, you know, that needs to be improved, like listening, focusing, and being alert to the surrounding that they are in. So whether it could be a classroom, and especially in a classroom, they can get lost easily because there are, you know, more than 10 kids and one teacher and the teacher cannot keep uh, reminding them to talk or keep calling on them. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. yeah, it's harder for them. So parents uh, have to work on this skill um, at home, at, you know, uh, home so that they can um, learn and train to utilize the skill anywhere else, outside in public, in school, being aware of where you are mm -hmm. uh, and um, interacting with the people in that situation or place or wherever they are. That's very, very important skill and kids need to be trained from a very early age at a young age i'll say wow. and it is hard work it's not easy because no matter what age uh, like my son is 17 and he still drifts away it's 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 uh, very common with kids on the spectrum but it is not impossible to train them we can train them there are tools to help us with that um, so that one and then one more skill that our kids lack in is copying or following uh, that's one of the main difference between neurotypical and kids on the spectrum. Um, like neurotypical kids uh, see someone else doing something cool. Uh, they immediately follow, you know, like yeah. they want yeah. to be as cool as the other person. But uh, um, kids on the spectrum don't, they really don't care. <laughs> they are like, uh, you know, they are like in their own world. They're happy with what they have. They're content with what they have. So yeah. <laughs> they really are not focusing on um, earning points or getting praises or uh, anything. So yeah, that would be another uh, thing to train on. That is following, focus, follow, listen, follow, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, copy or perform the uh, whatever is required, like in the classroom or you know at home, whatever is needed to be done, then they have to do it and not drift away. Okay. Thank you. I'm sure most of our listeners are very intrigued and I'm sure this is like really good information for them. Thank you so much. Yeah, so. no, from what you just said, uh, I had a question. So what are some ways to cope with um, the social challenges? 
social challenges. Okay, um, it's it's very um, it's difficult for our kids. I'll say uh, because uh, there are many things in our surrounding environment that are stressors. They do stress our kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like because they they are not able to express themselves as neurotypical kids do. Like so, you know, they they are not able to uh, you know cope with the challenges most of the time. And what happens is, um, as parents, uh, we are trying to, um, I would say, when we are outside in the society, when we are surrounded by people, we are trying to um, hide our children's, uh, I don't know what word to use here, but we are trying to hide our something that our children is they are lacking in right right now when they cannot cope with the uh, social uh, environment or surrounding that they are in so we are trying to hide and we i think we cause more stress on our kids by trying to hide their uh, i don't know should i say reality <laughs> i i don't know what to say yeah i'm sure our listeners understand like what you're trying to like, convey yeah so it's it's very difficult for our kids so uh, my advice would be for parents, uh, you know, to try to make it as easy as possible for them. It's okay for your child to have like a, like a stimming or, or anything that will help him or her regulate, you know, because um, house is their comfort zone. They are always fine, happy in their uh, homes. But once they get out, you know, there are many, many things uh, like... Um, you know, they see so many people. It could be noise. It could be, um, it could be. <laughs> uh, I know the weather. There are so many. Like there's so many changes outside, right? Exactly. So it is difficult for the kids to cope outside. And I think parents should make it as comfortable as uh, possible and try to understand how or what the child on the spectrum is feeling. It could be happy or sad or angry or. Uh, um, frustrated you know yeah so, yeah 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 parents need to really support and train their kids because it's a this is a hard one yeah um so I want to go back to the skills that you mentioned right and what type of at-home activities do you suggest like families work on with their child to help with those certain social skills because sometimes there might be a situation where the family is not able to go to a social skills class or something, right? So what type of at-home activities do you suggest families work on? Um, I think parents in acting at home, you know, okay. will really help. Uh, so as part of a training, um, as part of uh, training their child, they really need to, I wouldn't say create situations, but trying to explain to the child uh, beforehand uh, what that place is going to be like or what you know the child should ex- expect where they are going to will really help the child um, I know it's going to take time for them to understand like for example going to an amusement park right standing in lines or um, waiting in line for food uh, you know taking turns and all that it's 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 a little harder for the kids on the spectrum so training at home will definitely training and teaching at home will definitely help um and i know uh, because these days um it's very hard to find friends to play like 
to have if i mean if the child is not going to a social skills class through the therapy center or the school or um, some other organization uh, i know it's very difficult for the parents to make it possible to find friends for the child to play right mm-hmm. unless they go to the park to find people or kids so training the children at home and explaining in such a way that the kid will understand and also making multiple trips to that place will definitely help the first time is always the hardest yeah. um, but then the kids do get used to change right yeah. so yeah yes, yes that's the only way parents can do it uh do it again and again and again till the child is comfortable with uh, whatever you're doing like for example taking to a park it could be a park or an amusement park or going to the doctor um going to the store just take them again and again and again and teach them every single time and don't get upset or uh, disappointed if something does not work the way you expected it to mm-hmm. that's yeah, yeah that's very important yeah we, especially like the part about not being disappointed if something doesn't go the way it's supposed to be i think yeah. resilience is very important here yeah yeah um yeah that said um many children with autism have difficulties with academics or motor tasks such as holding a pencil so what exercises do you um suggest those parents to help with their child ex- uh, their child's academics um as far as holding a pencil uh, that comes under the occupational therapy skill uh, there are many tools now these days that really help a child to you know teach how to hold a pencil how to write how to draw etc and it may not work with every child on the spectrum some kids may not be able to learn how to write uh but i don't take that as a negative at all for me um i i so see how times have changed right it it's not necessary to write anymore i mean most of us work on laptops right even you all in school use yeah, exactly. your chromebooks or laptops correct you're not writing anymore mm-hmm. so i know writing is an important skill it helps with uh, motor function yes yes i agree with everything but if a child is not able to learn or get trained in uh, such skills then it's okay there's nothing to be so worried or stressed about Hmm. I mean, let's do the next option that is typing. And if the child is not able to learn how to type, then voice over typing, right? Like you just um, say something and then automatically the text is typed, correct? You have all these apps and everything. And uh, if the child is nonverbal, then I think it's called ACC devices or AAC device. Oh God, I forgot. Anyway, so there are many devices, many tools to help the child learn. and be trained these days so there is there is absolutely no need to feel bad about the child not being able to do it but definitely occupational therapy will help with something like holding a pencil and second about academics okay so again this is my belief that um, it's not important for a child to know how to add or how to subtract or how to read a clock because again like i said these days everything is easy like if the child knows how to use a calculator yeah that is a better life skill <laughs> compared to learning how to add i mean looking at it in the futuristic point of view it definitely does because right like suppose my son he learned how to read time when he was 5 mm-hmm. and now you know today if you ask him time he he just looks at his 
I watch and just reads the digital time. So, I mean, it is an important skill to have. I'm not saying it's not, but it's, it's not, a, it's nothing like, oh, my son cannot read time. So what do we do? No, it's not that big of a deal. I think um, that's very inspirational for a lot. Yeah, that's skills. very true. Life skills are more important. If some, when, when, when the child needs to know what time it is, if he or she can look at whatever device or watch they're wearing and read the time, that's enough. They don't have to, it doesn't have to be the analog um, yeah. clock at all. Digital is fine too, as long as the child knows what the time is. So that's my view on academics. I consider life skills more important than academic skills. Yeah, I think I, that's very important for like a lot of parents to understand or I guess in a way foresee the future, like what is important for the child in the future that they can utilize instead of like mm -hmm. in par with, you know, us neurotypical kids. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I always like try to like look at the positive side and I'm sure Kaviranti, your whole like just personality is also so positive, right? So, so, I believe are like the greatest strengths of children who have autism. So, like you know, we can inspire our our listening and stuff like that. Um, I mean, if if we are looking at uh, some strong qualities that they have, you know, most of the kids on the spectrum are very organized, very um, neat, and and I know these are OCDs or whatever behaviors that they are going to be taught off but still uh, I think uh, some of these skills really help a lot like um, you know my son's room is always clean and neat um, you know every chair is pushed back in place <laughs> every coaster is in place so uh, this is one of the strongest quality I, I myself I'm an organized person so I'll appreciate this quality second is uh, they have a good memory most of them uh, do um, have a good memory. They're very good with numbers. Uh, they they really do well in math and um, numbers. And um, third, you know, I I think more than all these skills like academic or uh, other skills, the most important um, quality that they have is they look at everyone as the same, like we are all equal in their eyes, yeah. right? They don't judge us or they do not have any uh, hate for anybody, dislike or anything. It's just, they're very honest. Like they will tell you directly if something is bothering them or if you do something that is not making them happy, right? So yes. that is one of, I think it's, it's one of the best quality of uh, the kids on the spectrum, I think. Their honesty, right? Uh, mm -hmm. They're always honest you i think nobody can be as honest as them uh, they they are not worried that they are hurting your feelings or whether uh, you know i mean they're just being honest yeah that that is the greatest quality yes i totally noticed that you know when we're working with um the kids in in gina like there's their naivety it's just so sweet to see and interact with them it's it's like a refresher <laughs> from our like, world. <laughs> yeah, and most, mostly, you know, all of them uh, really like you all coming there to, you know, play with them. And now they're missing you all. Uh, and uh, yeah, they, they are missing you all. The parents do tell me about it. Oh. Hmm. Oh. 
So how do you suggest um, our listeners and the general public can help children with autism? Mm, first of all, I think uh, like when we are in a public place, right? And there are people who are not aware of what autism is or what an autistic child does or behaves in and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time we get stared at, you know, if my son, because he's so excited, he speaks loudly in public and then immediately we are stared at. It's like, and I understand, I'm not saying, uh, I don't understand, I do. Uh, people are scared. Uh, people are worried. Okay, why is this child screaming? And my son doesn't look like a child anymore. He's six feet, one inch tall. So obviously they think, why is this man yelling or screaming or whatever? But it's just my son being excited about something and explaining it to his mother. Um, so I think, um, I'm not saying people should just mind their own business. That's very rude. <laughs> really not saying that. But try not to make the kids on the spectrum look like they're from another planet or something like that. Yeah. Does that make sense, Siri? Yeah. Like you have to understand that like each kid is different and they especially have to own now. Company. Yeah, especially now, right? Because one in fifty nine kids, you know, is diagnosed to be on the autism spectrum disorder. Wow. Right? Yeah, I think yeah. um C D C posted the uh, new one for the twenty twenty. I think it's now fifty four. Yeah, see? And then I think it was one in 42 boys and one in 189 girls. So when there are so many kids on the spectrum and everybody is kind of aware now of autism, autistic kids, I think the public needs to empathize and, uh, you know, just let the kids and the parents or even autistic adults just be you know let them as long as they are not harming anyone or creating a disturbance or problem you know for others i think um, just empathize that that is the greatest uh, help general public can have for parents of these uh, children and for the adults and children on the spectrum i see i see, I see. So um, we always know, or I, when we were doing research for our previous episodes, we were talking about autistic kids with sensory differences and other um, sensory like sensitivities. So what mm-hmm. are some ways to help autistic kids with sensory differences in, in just in general? Okay, uh, so kids on the spectrum, uh, their senses, you know, like um, sense of smell, touch, uh, sight, hearing, and everything, you know, all these five senses, they are oversensitive or undersensitive uh, most of the time. I mean, there are a few kids who do not have sensory issues. I mean, who are on the uh, spectrum and do not have sensory issues, but most of them do, you know, they're uh, uh, everyday they have difficulty processing this um, everyday sensory uh, information, whatever they receive. So um, there are many uh, tools these days that help our kids. And also there are many toys these days that help our kids, you know, uh, to cope up. Like some of the sensory issues, I would say like closing ears and running away, like not, not realizing that they're putting themselves in danger. You know what I mean? Just running away from there. Um, that one. And then, um, um, like kind of like uh, picky eaters, right? They don't like the texture of all kinds of food. So that is a sensory issue too. But then we do have different kinds of therapies that uh, get 
um get them used to all kinds of textures when it comes to food when it comes to clothing when it comes to um uh, you know going outside of the house because it's very noisy so they can um get uh, you know headphones for their kids mm-hmm. and also um, you know they for the social learning skills there there are many sensory toys that help you know so i would say uh, these days there is it's not that much of a big issue because we do see some of the neurotypicals also having sensory issues i know most of the neurotypicals outgrow sensory issues but uh, there are different uh, kinds of like weighted uh, vest weighted blanket for them or a wiggle cushion you know um and earplugs some noise uh, you know headphones cancelling headphones so yeah and then there's this uh, handheld fidget toys oh yeah yeah so yeah it's been years and stuff like that yeah yeah so there are many many things these days to help our children and talking to a therapist always helps because therapists uh, do have ideas on how to reduce uh, sensory issues uh, yeah going back to the autism awareness um that you mentioned before what do you believe is lacking in our society um with autism awareness and how do you think that we can help resolve that issue i think empathy um empathy is uh, one of the main uh, i'll tell you because uh, most of them are still judgmental i mean uh, it did happen when my son was diagnosed i never got the support from uh, people like people then they were not strangers these were my friends uh, you know they they and i do i agree back then when my son was diagnosed uh, there was not much awareness so it would be blamed on parents saying that okay the parent did not take care of the child well or train the child well or whatever but yeah uh, empathy from general public is very very important like understanding what autism is i mean you go on the internet you can find many things these days right yeah. so understanding that and uh, we don't want any kind of help to be honest right now we have our own friends we have our own network we ha- it's okay we are not looking for any help uh, just empathy empathy you yeah. know uh, putting themselves in our shoes and understanding what we go through as parents and what our children go through and just how to make it easier for them to live in this world which is so complex right don't you guys feel that like oh, it's i'm always lost <laughs> right as a neurotypical if you're finding it so difficult then imagine how it is for a um, for an autistic child um, so yeah basically all i ask from is empathy that's that's definitely something we all should do and we all will definitely advocate for at least from our side here yeah uh, and i appreciate it i really do i appreciate what you guys do because uh it it's nice uh, to when i see you all it's really nice you know i feel very happy because i will not be leaving a world for my son where he's going to be filled with strangers it's going to be filled with people kind people like you all and that is one of the most um, i don't know what to say it is it 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 really makes me very very happy more relaxed and i'm not worried about what's going to happen after me you know with respect to my child his life and how is he going to live and survive in this world so thank you no problem this auntie yeah. this is really our plan we are so happy to come to gina i can speak from personal experience and definitely i can advocate for my sister too we're always looking forward to sundays coming to gina yeah <laughs> thank you so much guys thank like, you priti thank we're you really so glad much. that we help um autistic kids 
So based on a, based on that, right? How do you suggest to help build the confidence of the child with autism? Um, praising, constant praise is very important. Uh, focusing on the positives rather than the negatives. Uh, that is, I I would say most of us are always uh, you know looking for what they lack in, rather than what they really can achieve. Um, so we have to stop that um, um saying okay my kid cannot do this my kid cannot do that instead of that saying more of oh my kid can do this and that's wonderful so praising and um, you know making the child realize that he's loved he or she's loved no matter what they can or cannot do i think that is very important okay definitely yeah and mind <laughs> yeah we'll keep that in mind so how do you suggest that the people close to the autistic person help the autistic person build, build their interests and decrease their undesired behavior? Now here, um, what I think is undesired behavior is undesired to the neurotypical world. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so this undesired behavior could be something that regulates the child on the spectrum right the child uh, it could be like i said vocal stimming or visual stimming or pacing up and down or uh, you know do uh, trying to find humor in something or the other and kind of laughing um, which could be like okay why is this kid laughing but it could also be a way that the kid is trying to connect with another you know by finding humor in something and trying to laugh so I don't know what really undesirable behavior would be in this case. Okay, yeah, I can say throwing a tantrum or a fit when because they do, like they do that when um, when they cannot get something that they like or want to do immediately at that minute. Yes, that would be an undesired behavior. I'm not going to deny that. But other than that, rest all. I mean, uh, it's the same as having a neurotypical child who. Um, <laughs> displays undesired behavior in public or, you know, uh, it's just that neurotypical children grow up and overgrow all these things. But uh, kids on the spectrum, no matter how old they are, uh, they don't, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think this can be approached the same way that we do with the uh, non-preferred activity or, you know, the activities that they are not motivated enough to do right so we bribe them <laughs> we bribe them and we say okay you're gonna go get this once you reach home so you better be quiet or please be quiet you know <laughs> we beg or <laughs> i mean i seem like my parents are always like you need to like stop this you know we'll do this after i definitely see like how it would work Right. So yeah, yeah we're going to yeah. take the day, same approach. But at the same time, like I said, uh, if the undesired behavior is something that the child needs to do to make himself comfortable or regulate him, himself or herself, then definitely okay. that's not an undesirable behavior at all. And I think neurotypical world needs to understand that this is the need of the child. Yeah. yeah. I think that comes with the empathy and understanding what autism is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awareness. As well. Yeah, they have to understand yeah. that um, some of like some of the repetitive behaviors are to decrease their um, like sensory differences to regulate their sensory differences. Yes, yes, very important. So, yeah. um, 
you mentioned, uh, Ms. you mentioned that, you know, as when your child was first diagnosed with autism, it was a shock and you did, you were also very, you did not know previously what autism was, right? Yeah, so, no, no idea. Yeah. So what advice would you give to parents who have children um, diagnosed with autism? And maybe this is their first time, you know, even hearing about autism. What would be your advice for parents in this new world? So, um, and this I realized only after becoming a parent, not before I was a parent. As a parent, you're always worried about the future of your child. I don't know. We, we do not live in that moment or that day, you know, we are not thinking about that at all. We're always thinking about the future. Okay. Yeah. So whenever a child is diagnosed, uh, each and every parent thinks, okay, what's going to happen to my child once I die, you know, once I'm not here to take care of my child. So that is the biggest worry every parent has. And I had that too for a long time. And I took a long time to overcome that. So I think, and I know it's easier said than done because every parent, uh, it's very sad for parents when they hear the news that their child is on the spectrum and will not be able to perform uh, tasks or uh, live a life like a neurotypical. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to digest and I totally get that. But, and it's okay to take time to understand uh, what, situation they are in and how they need to help the child and everything but also they need to stop worrying about the future of the child stop it like don't plan so far ahead in the future because um, things are changing okay there there there's there's going to be many many things that will help our children that's how i wake up every morning i say okay today is going to be better than yesterday Okay, unless and until we tell ourselves that and work towards it and, um, you know, be positive and train our children to live like a neurotypical because that's the need right now, correct? They, you want your child to be as independent as possible, teaching them life skills and uh, communication and, uh, you know, knowing what they need and all that. So try to be as happy and as positive as possible with your child and no, don't worry about the future. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that said, before like our diagnosis, most autistic children have um, developmental differences. So what would you advise to a parent that suspects um, their child has developmental differences? I think, um, and I know it, this does not have to be through a developmental pediatrician. Uh, these days, uh, regular pediatricians assess kids' uh, uh, you know, uh, based on their milestones and everything. Uh, but definitely if you suspect something you know, with your child, like if you feel um, that your child may be slow, I don't know if I can use that word or maybe delayed, then please immediately go to the doctor and get your doubts cleared because uh, early intervention helps our children a lot. And the sooner they get some help uh, and get trained, you know, the better they'll be able to lead an independent life later. Thank you. Uh, that, that definitely makes sense. You know, early intervention allows us to take greater steps um, at an yeah. early age. So what yeah. is, since we're youth and we, I mean, there's so many youth volunteers at GINA and we all understand so much, right? But what is one message you would like to tell all of the youth and basically our generation in terms of being kind, friendly, and respectful towards autistic children? Because in my school, 
I have unfortunately seen a lot of um, kids, you know, not being as kind and friendly towards autistic children and where I've had to step in and say, say something about it. But how would you, or what is one message as a parent that you would like to tell the youth and our generation in terms of just being a good human being? So in a perfect world, this wouldn't happen, right? Like, I mean, you wouldn't have to teach a neurotypical how to behave or how to, uh, you know, be with, interact with an autistic child or a child on the spectrum. But it isn't. And this is the truth of it. And I can tell and many others can tell and definitely there's a difference in what it used to be and what it is now. And uh, for that, I thank you all because um, you are all aware of what autism is. And I know no matter, you know, where you guys go with whatever you do and if at all you meet a child on the spectrum or an adult on the spectrum, I know you're going to be kind and you're going to be very patient with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, and you will teach others also to be kind and patient. So it will happen slowly and steadily. It is going to happen. It's going to take time. And I have to be patient. And many other parents are going to be patient like me. But sometimes, you know, not everyone believes in being kind and uh, uh, respectful, right? So yeah. we have to uh, understand that this is just a part of the world. Um, so uh, while we were researching, we found a quote. Um, the quote is, I am not disabled, I am differently abled. So how much truth do you think that message um, holds for autistic children? Uh, I would say yes, they are differently able because they're not incapable, right? Uh, they, they, can, they can do uh, many things that neurotypical kids or adults do. It's just the way they do it is different. So yes, differently able. Yes, but at the same time, okay, me as a parent of an autistic child, and I know most of them won't agree with me on this, I also think of my son as a disabled child. And why is that? Because um, no matter how much I train him or how much he's being trained by other resources, it could be school or therapies or whatever, there are situations where he's not able to control his emotions and feelings or able to... Um, you know, decide on what to do or, you know, he's not independent, right? You've, you've seen my son and you've seen other kids too. And no matter what you do, our kids are not able to um, do something that is, often, that is expected of kids their age or adults, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. is that a disability? Yes, it is. I am okay with that. I am okay with my son being called differently able because probably because he can do math very fast or he likes math or he likes, he's clean and neat and he can do many other things. But at the same time, I do consider him, him as a disabled child and I have no problems with that. And I hope, you know, parents, other parents listening to this are not offended by this. This is just my opinion. I, I don't feel bad about my son's shortcomings probably you know it is a shortcoming right if he cannot uh, handle himself in a situation uh, then it is a shortcoming it's okay he needs help and I am here to support and help him as much as I can and the world also is kind of getting trained in how to support and help 
autistic individuals. So I'm okay with differently abled and disabled. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And I yeah. think this is a, in a way for me personally, this is a eye opener because I've always like thought, you know, oh, you, I never thought of it in that way. And I completely see where you're coming from. And I think this new perspective was very nice, at least for me. I really learned something. And I really appreciated that new perspective. So um, yeah, I think I see it like that too. Like I, I see that they're differently able, but I don't see it as um, disabled. But I think what you said like really opened that like, possibility of thinking it, thinking of them as like disabled, but not disabled as in like physically disabled. Yeah, yeah. They just process things differently. So the reactions are different, and they may not be able to handle everything that's thrown at them. So. Uh, yeah, I'll say, okay, they are disabled too. They need help and support. And but that's fine. Really bad either. So I yeah. think that's, that's a really good perspective, Auntie. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, what type of, so you mentioned in, like, in previously that there was not a lot of support or just empathy that you got from people in your own circle before, right? So yeah. What type of cooperation and dedication do you think is very important for the entire family, for the entire circle, um, just relations and whatnot to have when helping an autistic child? I don't know why uh, there is shame associated with any diagnosis. Okay, when, whenever there's a diagnosis uh, for any child that is not neurotypical, right? There is shame associated with it. And I don't understand why, because it's not anybody's fault. Yeah, It's not the child's fault. It's definitely not the parent's fault. The child was just born like this, right? Yeah. So instead of providing the necessary support and trying to help, and I mean, it's not necessary that one helps. Like I said earlier, it's okay. We don't need anybody's help. There are many resources to help us, but don't, um, don't make the parents feel bad or the child feel bad for not performing like you expected uh, or you want or you, or you think when you compare with your own children or other children and say, okay, this child cannot speak or cannot, you know, do this, blah, blah. You know how, how many standards there are yeah. for the kids. So um, let's not set that standard at all. It's okay. Uh, so I think if if that develops in um, more people and i i think it will help parents of children especially newly diagnosed children you know i see i meet many parents and i understand they're very sad they're very depressed because they don't have the support at all from yeah. their family from their friends they're so scared they're so worried and in times of uh, need and when we are so scared and worried we actually should go to our family and friends correct mm -hmm. But they don't. Uh, they try to hide the diagnosis and they suffer alone. And this is very sad. You know, that needs to change. Yeah. That shame, the shame associated with the diagnosis needs to just disappear. Completely. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. So, um, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just thinking, I was just reflecting on what you said. And I think that's, so true, you know, I've, meet, I've met a lot of parents um, outside, you know, school. I, I, I typically interact with kids um, in my school and, and I do it along with Preeti and she knows as well. And sometimes I do meet like the kids, like they're with their parents on a walk and then 
they say hi and I, I just talk to the parents and you can see that they're trying to like in a way tell their child to not interact as much because they're scared of what how mm-hmm. my family or how I will react when I'm with my family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about how you said about that shame and now it it kind of makes sense you know why the parents are trying to rush the conversation probably because they're so scared of how we're gonna react but that definitely the shame just needs to disappear because yeah yeah we all are so understanding I know at least from at least personally from my family you know we understand we've seen we've had a very personal experience as well and so for us it's we completely understand and I think it now makes sense I was always very confused and yes i i do agree that you all are and your families have been very accepting of us you know um but there is uh, we don't get that acceptance everywhere from everybody um we are always uh, seen as uh, you know different okay we are different we we'll, we'll take that but that doesn't mean that um, you know we love our child any less it's not at all true we love our child no matter uh, disabled or differently abled or you know it doesn't does not make any difference in our life but it's very hurtful when the neurotypical public treat our child differently yeah yeah i feel like even within the neuropublic kids there there still are differences but like some people just don't see that that differences extends to people who are not neurotypical and they uh-huh. don't accept that different um the differentness difference yes. the difference um so that said um are there any specific resources you want to share with our listeners uh definitely yeah uh so regional centers uh, help uh, parents of children on the spectrum or any other special need or physical disability or any you know anything regional centers uh, help a lot um they are a great resource they you know guide you through the process of uh, um you know how to where to get started etc uh, with uh, with respect to therapies and schools and everything else schools are a very good uh, resource too the teacher the people working in schools special education um departments yeah that is another great resource and then there are non profit orgs uh, like gina right you all are a part of gina and mm. uh, now we volunteers there we try to give as much information as possible to all the fellow parents you know mm-hmm. um newly you know parents of newly diagnosed children and um, senior parents always help one another like they they are trying to guide the younger parents or uh, parents of newly diagnosed children towards the right path based on their experiences and whatever knowledge they've acquired they're trying to you know give it back and help and support one another so yeah uh, and i think i should include the hospitals and doctors because yes definitely doctors are a great resource too yeah um that that's so that's so eye opening you know for us just to like when we want to like suggest something you know resources or even for this the future of this podcast you know we can start discussing these specific resources maybe coming in contact with professionals at these resources uh huh uh huh yeah so much i did not know about the regional centers or uh, such i only knew about the nonprofit organizations and hospitals but uh-huh. 
definitely not the regional centers need to oh yeah there are uh, there are several uh, regional centers and i'm uh, um for the bay area i would say there's regional center of east bay rceb and then towards the san jose cupertino side i think it's san andreas regional center um it's sarc s a r c and i think there is a golden golden gate regional center i'm i'm something that starts with golden i'm thinking it's golden gate okay a regional center and then for the central valley that's towards tracy and stockton it is valley mountain regional center so you know i it's not uh, i won't say every county has a regional center i i would say it's kind of like the east bay south bay you know yeah. so we do have regional centers where there are case workers uh, intake coordinators program managers and they really do help us a lot all the new parents who are you know with the newly diagnosed children or the senior parents who need help with placement for the children or uh, many many things we need help with so definitely regional centers are a great resource and then now i think there's an increase in the nonprofit organizations that work uh, for the betterment of uh, children on the spectrum so yes i see those yeah. two Thank you. Definitely need to look into that. I'm more intrigued, you know, to look into regional centers now. Also, so I've heard um, from a lot of people and just reading articles that caring for a child with autism can be physically exhausting and emotionally draining. How do you suggest parents themselves take care, and how do they take a breather from you know that exhausting time periods? um i think parents need to stop blaming themselves first uh or trying to fix their child because most of them are trying to fix the child it's like okay uh if i do this then my kid will not be autistic anymore if i do that then he or she is not going to be autistic anymore so that thought needs to be removed okay mm-hmm. uh and um second is if there are parents who believe that our kids on the spectrum need to be actively engaged every second every minute of the day that's not good or right at all um kids need to know you know they need to have their own time they need to relax they need to regulate and especially more for the kids on the spectrum you can't keep them actively engaged every minute of the day okay that's not right at all and um third is i think parents wellbeing is more important um uh, if you want your child to be fine happy uh and doing well then parents need to be happy doing well and relaxed first don't you all agree with that yeah it's uh, like the airplane message like first take care of yourself and then you can you're able to take care of others yeah exactly so uh take a day off from parent i'm not saying like <laughs> not i'm not saying take a day off from feeding your kids no definitely feed your kids every single day but do take a day off from whatever you're doing to I'll, i'm going to use the word fix again <laughs> because most of the parents are trying to fix their kids mm. uh, you know take a day off go go out with your friends or girlfriends and have fun try to lead as normal a life as possible mm-hmm. then your children are going to be happy and you are going to be happy because this is a long life it's mm-hmm. not just one year five year or 10 year and a uh, child on the spectrum or autistic like in my case i think i'll just say it based on my case autism is in our lives forever mm-hmm. my son is going to be autistic forever so yeah. i'm not going to let that 
not have uh, or not live my life um, and not and be unhappy all the time no i'm not going to do that i i have friends I know people and have very good family friends and they're all very nice and very sweet and we all meet and my son has friends. So, you know, we have fun uh, all the time and it's not just, and like I said earlier, this also starts when the family accepts that the child needs, um, child is different or child is on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So definitely, definitely, there's no difference between us and parents of neurotypical kids yes we do have to do a lot more work than them on our kids because we have to train our kids our kids cannot copy or follow others right so mm-hmm. we have to teach them how to do that so yes it is more work but to be energetic to be enthusiastic about doing this every single day we need to take time off every single day you know yeah i completely yeah. understand what you're saying because again as you said taking care of ourselves allows us to like take care of others. And if we're happy, everybody around us is happy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's very important for the parents of um, non-neurotypical children to take care of themselves so they can help um, their uh, non-neurotypical children. Um, so that said, how does um, working with neurotypical children make a difference on your son? Uh, you all seen him, right? He loves you all. I mean, he, he, he he's very good with names uh, mostly if he's talked to you then he'll always remember your name so um he's uh, yeah he loves you all and he really likes talking to you all and that's what I'm to him honestly i always look forward to my conversations <laughs> <laughs> and i know uh, conversations with him are kind of funny sometimes uh, but yeah he loves meeting you all and uh, He's excited uh, to come every Saturday, Sunday to meet you all, to do robotics uh, with you all um, and to play some sports like tennis or uh, basketball. And it's, it's fun. It's fun for him. So, yeah. Uh, yes. He, and he, what happens is he, he does not feel that loneliness anymore because he has friends in you all. Right? Yeah. So, he, he thinks... Of, all of you as his own friends and he's more happy so yes this has made a very big difference in our son's life and not only our son other kids that come there to the classes uh, you all taking time out of your busy life because high school is hard i totally understand and you all still make time for our kids and i cannot appreciate that enough like no matter what i say it's going to still be less because i know most of you come there and you, you know, you, you all are very enthusiastic. Every week, every Sunday, I see you guys and you're very cheerful. You're spreading happiness. You're teaching our kids and you're making it fun. You're making learning a you know, fun thing. It's not, um, you know, they, they really look forward to come and meet you all and learn from you all. So, yes, thank you so much for doing that. And yes, it has made a huge difference um, in their lives. They really look forward to meeting you all. No, honestly, we need to thank you for giving us such a opportunity, you know, like it's, it's such a surreal opportunity. And I always, every time someone like tells me, oh, talk about yourself. The first thing I always mention is I always end up mentioning how I volunteer at Gina or how I volunteer at places because those surreal opportunities are what make me me. And I think 
these opportunities and like experiences I've gained at Gina and learning what I've learned at Gina is definitely something that will stick with me forever. Yeah, I think it's like we also accept, um, like we have to come there and we have to accept, but like um, as a volunteer over time, you end up like bonding with the person themselves and you end up learning more about the disorder themselves. And you, like if I see somebody in public that's autistic, I don't think, oh, why is that person acting weird? I think, oh, it's just autism. Like it's, it's, part, of the, it's part of the person, it's part of who they are. And so being a friend um, to someone who is non-neurotypical and knowing that I can help someone, like even if it's only a little bit, it's like very, it makes me very happy that to know that I can help someone get better. So thank you. Thank you both of you for being, uh, you know, kind and patient with our kids. We really appreciate that. No problem, too. It's our pleasure. So uh, I think this is, Basically, we're concluding our interview. It was honestly really great. But before we uh, say our closing note, is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners? Um, you know, uh, if, if there is a parent that feels like they don't have uh, enough support or, uh, you know, are looking to meet other families, uh, then uh, please feel free to contact me, uh, you know, through Gina. Uh, Gina website is uh, gina.org, um, J-E-E-N-A dot O-R-G. And um, we have many classes there for uh, kids on the spectrum. Uh, uh, social skills classes, robotics classes. So please do bring your child there and, um, you know, don't, because isolation is one of, um, I would say it is one of the biggest, uh, you know, negativity of uh, associated with autism, where they, the children, children on the spectrum do not have enough friends and they're isolated and they develop behaviors over time. And to avoid that, you know, it's basically they, they, they want to be part of something. So bringing them to these classes that we conduct or any other nonprofit or conducts or, you know, anywhere that they take them to, like a therapy center or anywhere, uh, really helps the children. So please bring your children out of your homes. Don't keep them inside. I mean, not right now, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> after the social distancing is done and over with. Um, please do bring your children out and, uh, you know, make them interact with other kids. And, um, you, know, you know, we are looking for new families who can join us and provide support to one another and become friends with. So, yeah, that's my message to the families with special needs children. And uh, for the families with neurotypical children, um, uh, at least uh, you all that come to Gina, I just, you know, want to express my gratitude to your parents uh, because they've raised you with such good values and you all are very kind. And um, I, I really, uh, when I see you all, you know, in our social skills class, helping our kids on the spectrum, uh, sometimes it's very, uh, it's such a beautiful, you know, that becomes the most beautiful part of, the whole day, whole week, you know, like it's, it's very nice. It makes me feel very happy that, okay, my son is going to have friends forever. And I know you all will never, never forget any of the kids that you helping or working with. And, uh, you know, and I hope more and more parents of neurotypical children learn from you and your parents and, uh, you know, try to teach empathy and um, kindness to their kids. Yeah, like I think you said before that it's like very important for 
them to get out and like interact with people and not for them to be restricted because for them to learn how to interact they have to interact you can't yes. teach them how to interact without making them interact yes you're right Preeti yeah yeah thank you so much uh aunt uh, miss kaveri for coming and you know sharing your experiences honestly i'm i personally learned so much today just hearing you speak about your experiences and your journey it's so empowering and just i just want to say you know to the listeners out there definitely what uh miss kaveri patel said is very true about bringing the neurotypical children to help the um non neurotypical children because i've gone to temples where i have seen um children with autism and their parents are really struggling and at that moment i do know what to do because of what i've learned in the social skills classes in gina for sure and i have there have been experiences where i've gone to the child you know i've helped the family out and it's the fact that the family's so surprised itself it, that's not supposed to be there we're society you know and i just wanted to say this because i've learned so much personally and i'm sure preeti can relate to this as well i mean yeah i also learned a lot like yeah, i'm I, so just seeing yeah just seeing everything from the perspective of someone um as a parent and not as a volunteer like both me and siri are yeah and definitely having you know someone like miss kaveri patel to really mentor us and guide us that's been so helpful so again thank you so much um miss kaveri patel for coming and speaking about your experiences I really hope that you will you'll be a re- reoccurring guest to our podcast. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me and hopefully we'll see you soon, you know. Hopefully the virus will disappear soon and we will yeah. see you soon. We can't wait to see everybody again. <laughs> so, Thank we had you. a great time interviewing today and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much um for, you know, contributing to this awareness campaign that we're trying to spread. Before we conclude, I'm Siri and I'm Preeti. Bye guys.